Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Now I want to ask if I can get some readers tonight, because we have some scriptures that uh, we're going to be going through, but I might need your help. So if I can get two or three volunteers, Brian, and um, <laughs> if you could look up for me Romans 6, 23, hmm? Hmm? No? Hmm? Chris, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, Jason Voss, Luke 3, 21 and 22, and Alex Ammons, Pastor Alex Ammons, Luke 4, 1 through 3, all right? It'll take us a while to get to all those. You just hold your place there and let's jump into this. Father, thank you now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. Father, I pray that you would help me to deliver this message like you delivered it to me today, God, with power, with revelation. And I pray, God, that we would be changed tonight, that we would be built and encouraged upon your word, that we would grow in the word of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I was very excited for this moment when the Lord started unveiling some things for me today from the scriptures, some new things, some wonderful things. So tell your neighbor, buckle up. We're going for a ride. All right. Colossians 2, 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, you remember what we talked about last week or a couple weeks ago? How long ago was this? Was it last week? When were my brother and I doing that thing? That was two weeks ago? Oh, by the way, next week, Heather and I are going to do it again. We'll do some Q&A with you, so we're excited about that. And I might get some more people involved, too. We'll, we'll talk about it. But for sure, we're going to do some Q&A. So those of you that didn't get your questions answered, we'll start with yours first. And if you have some new ones, we'll do our best to get to all of them, okay? You being dead. Remember, remember what I talked about? Just Paul is describing the level of distance that we had with God. The, 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 the length of the distance, the level of the separation. Look at this, you being dead in your trespasses, that's one, and that came through Adam. That's Adam's effect, right? And the uncircumcision of your flesh. So we have the spiritual separation and we have the physical separation. All right, so the natural born children of Abraham were those who were in covenant with God. God made a covenant with Abraham and all of his descendants. Is that right? And uh, their response to that covenant, their responsibility in the covenant is that every male would be circumcised and that would separate them from the rest of the world. And we, we were, we struck out on both of those deals. Okay? Spiritually and physically. He, now what, look what happens. He has made alive together with him. Now when did that happen? When we were dead and uncircumcised. That is, when we were in, dead in sin and when we were without covenant. Not after, when we were there. Now, we, we have to get that. Why we were there? Because sometimes we, we kind of get the idea that, that this didn't happen until we got saved. 
that's kind of true, yeah, on one sense, but this happened so that we could get saved, so that we could be saved, so that we could come into a right relationship with God, so that we could claim the covenant rights, that only His chosen special people called Israel could do at one time. Now watch, this is extraordinary. Uh, after, uh, I'm sorry, I mean, that, that tells us that we were as far away from God as we could possibly be. Hell was the, the next step. That was it. That, that's the last stop. But look what God did for us while we were in this state. He has made us alive together with Him. What does that mean, alive together with Him? That means as alive as Jesus is, so are we. How alive is Jesus? Well, He's eternally alive. This life is that, that we are now living in Him is not a life that's temporary. It is eternal. And God settled this issue once for all, once for all people and once for all time. And this is how He did it. Now Paul's going to help describe how this happened, how we were in that state, separated, cut off from the life of God, and now He has made a life together with us, and there's a comma, to us together with Him, Having, first, first thing he did was having forgiven us our trespasses. Having, having forgiven you all trespasses. I want you to turn to somebody and tell them he forgave all your sins. He forgave all of them. He forgave all of them. Think about that. The audacity of this God to forgive all sins. So here's the deal. This is, and it, and it, this is how we were made alive because... The scripture says where there, the law, there's no law, then, then sin's not imputed. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But since Jesus shed his blood, since that showed his forgiveness, then that means that the consequence of our sin is done away with too. Well, what is the consequence of sin? Well, Romans 6.23 says what? Brian? Pastor Brian? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ okay. our Lord. Awesome. Thank you. So that's it. The wages of sin is death. Death came, why? Because sin came. And that was its consequence. But if he forgave us all of our sins, then there's no death to die. While we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive. How did he do that? Because he forgave us. And when he forgave us, he forgave us the sin. And Jesus, not only took by Jesus taking that sin upon himself and then also dying that death. Mm. Now, watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 9. Where is our other microphone? Does anybody know where it is? Yes, there it is right there. You got this, Miss Maddie? All right. 2 Corinthians 5. Now, just start read. Yeah, just go ahead and read both of them. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Wow. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, stop right there for just a moment. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so we've been reconciled. Now we have all of, how many of you are reconciled in here? Hmm? Now you have the ministry of reconciliation. So along with reconciling you, he gave you a ministry. Did you know you're all ministers? It's a very certain ministry, though. 
It's a very distinct ministry. And watch verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the, word of, the world to himself, mm. not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Oh, wow. So the ministry of reconciliation is the word of reconciliation, and that word of reconciliation is God is not angry at sin anymore. That's the ministry. That's the word that we preach. God got over his wrath. He has reconciled the world to himself. I ask you, how many of you are reconciled in here? All of you raised your hand, but the truth is the entire world's reconciled. Now, don't think I'm teetering on the edge of universalism. I'm nowhere near that. Hear what I'm saying. From God's side, he's done everything that he could do to save us. Now, we have a part to play in this. And what part is that? To believe it. Anyone can have this reconciliation. Anybody can enjoy this reconciliation that he has done for us. But they're going to have to believe it. You've got to believe this gospel. You have to believe that God was in Christ reconciling you, that Jesus died for your sins. Amen. He was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How did he do that? Not, see what I'm saying? Not imputing their trespasses against In other words, he did not hold your sins against you any longer. Because Christ satisfied that by paying the ultimate price. And God saw his price as full payment for all of our sins. So now, if there's no sins counted against us from God, God, help us. Help us, Lord, to really believe this. Am I talking to anybody here right now? Help us to believe that you are not imputing our trespasses to us. We do it way too much to ourselves. And God's not doing that. He's not doing that. He has reconciled us to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed it. So the word reconciliation, I love this word. The number one definition for the word reconciliation is exchange. Exchange. But another one is to receive one into favor. To receive one into favor. So look at this. That God was in Christ receiving the world <laughs> into his favor. If he got over our sin, then I'd say that we definitely have been favored by God. How did he do that? In Christ. Now, we've got to, take, we've got to go to another place for a moment because this is, I'm building on something here, if you'll just bear with me. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Go ahead and read both 21 and 22, Jason, if you would. Thank you, by the way, Chris. Thank you, Pastor Brian. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, who was also baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Whoa, man, what an event this was. What an event this was. There were two people that saw the Holy Spirit. One was Jesus, one was John. Wow. John saw the Spirit with his own eyes. That's extraordinary to me. Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. That didn't say he is a dove. It said it was the way that he was lighting down on Jesus was like a dove. 
And then us spirit field people just started putting doves on everything because we thought that's what the Holy Ghost looked like. <laughs> like a dove, okay? Anyway, and a voice. Now, see this? Now here, in, just in this picture alone, we can see the Trinity, can't we? We see Jesus being baptized, the Spirit descending on him, and the voice speaking from the sky. This is my beloved Son. Well, obviously, that's the Father if he's calling him Son. All right, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right there, powerful. And a voice came from heaven. Wow, this is interesting to me. Now, why would God, at this moment, why would he choose this moment to speak out of the sky and declare such a thing? I learned when I was in Bible school and in things that my dad taught me about studying the Bible was he said, you've got to ask questions when you're reading. Why is this saying this? To whom is he saying it? Is it being said? Who is it coming from? Ask those critical questions. And so I did. I said, why did God speak from this guy? Why did he say this thing? Because the interesting thing is, I started thinking about what Jesus, his life up until this point, what he had done. What had he done to evoke such a response from heaven? And the truth is, he'd done nothing. He'd done nothing. He just got baptized by John. He hasn't even entered the ministry yet. I mean, he just walked out of the carpenter shed, took his tool belt off, and went out to the Jordan, baptizing him. This is my beloved son. I love the way Luke says it. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Before he did one miracle, before Jesus preached one sermon, before he healed any sick, before he cast out one devil, the Father said, I am pleased with you. Interesting. Well, so it wasn't great works that Jesus did that got the, fathers, the, uh, uh, got the Father excited about it. Where he would say, now I'm pleased at that. You did good there, I'm really pleased with you. You did well there, I'm really pleased with you. Before any of that, he simply said, I'm pleased with you. Why? Because he's his son. And there's a reason why. You know, everything that God does, he does it on purpose. And he does it with purpose. So if it wasn't because Jesus did something great for God to speak out of the sky and say, I'm pleased with you, then why? Why did he say it? The very next thing, the, ne the very next event in Jesus' life, we find in Luke chapter 4. Now you can read the same account in Matthew 3 and 4. Now Matthew bumps it right up, right at the end of Matthew 3 where he gets baptized. The next thing that happens is he he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Luke takes a little time out and gives a little genealogy and then goes there. Okay? So, th but this is the next thing that happened. He gets baptized and then he's full of the Holy Spirit and then the Spirit says, let's go. Why is it that the Spirit drove Jesus or led him out to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Because Jesus didn't have a sin nature. There was nothing the devil could do or say that could entice him. So the Spirit had to say, all right, time to be tempted now. 
So he goes out there. Now, this is amazing to me. Luke chapter 4. Where, who's reading that? Alex, go ahead. One through three, yes. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Keep going. No, that's it. Oh. Read verse 3 again. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God. Stop. What did the devil say to him? If you are the Son of God. Well, I'll tell you what. That old serpent is up to his old tricks again. He already did that with Adam, didn't he? And Eve. By saying, has God said? Has God said that if you eat that tree, you'll die? And here he is. The last Adam shows up and he says, are you the son of God? Well, he just, yeah, I heard a voice from heaven. Hello. I have a feeling that this might have been, now this is just my opinion, all right? You can take it or leave it. I have a feeling this is the first time the devil, I think he didn't know. I think that he was out of the loop on this deal. Even Herod, even Herod, King Herod, when he uh, was explained by the wise men that the king of Israel, the king of the Jews had been born, and, and they, had, they showed him from Scripture, from Micah chapter 5, where that happened, King Herod didn't see him as the son of God. He just saw him as a political threat. When he heard king, he said, no, I'm the king. And so that's why he killed all those, all those children, to make sure he to, to try to wipe Jesus out of there. And fortunately, the Lord had spoken to Joseph to get out before that happened. But, but I just don't believe that the devil really knew because they weren't declaring him as the son of God at this point. I, I looked for it. I tried to find it in the Scriptures before this event where God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, and I couldn't find it, except for an angel told Mary that your son will be called Son of the Highest. So if anybody knew the information, it was probably Mary, Joseph, and maybe John and his mom and dad. I'm not real sure. Nobody saw this coming until the day, think about this, God announces to the world at this point this, you are my beloved son, and you I'm well pleased, and, and you know the devil heard that. What? So when he sees this man, he, know, he realizes at this point, this is no ordinary man. God just showed up in the flesh. I've got to do something about this. Oh, I've got a trick. And the first thing he does, he comes at him to question what God had said about him. You are my beloved son. And what Satan say? If you are the son of God. If you are. Now here's the deal. This is where it gets dastardly. Because in the next statement, we find the father of the religious system speaking out and his followers continuing to say the same thing that he has said from that day. If you are the Son of God, perform. Command these stones to be turned to bread. Prove it by your actions. Isn't that what the religious have taught us? Isn't that what legalism teaches us? If you're really children of God, you'll prove it. You'll show it. 
courting the devil. They think they're being sincere and speaking truth, but they're just being religious liars. Jesus hadn't done anything, God said, you're my son. See, here's the difference. We have to remember this. There is a difference between discipleship and sonship. And the problem is, I see in the church today, is discipleship gets exalted as this is the highest way to live, and sonship is just somewhere down here. When discipleship is really the elementary thing, and sonship is the apex. Well, thank you for your enthusiasm there. I said discipleship is really the elementary thing. That's not what we're striving for. The world is not in turmoil, according to Romans chapter 8, looking for the revealing of disciples. No, it says it's looking for the revealing of the sons of God. And the reason I'm saying all that, the reason God said it there is so that you will say it. That you will see you how he sees you. God does not wait for you to perform to say, okay, now you can be in my family. No, it doesn't work like that. He brings you in through faith in his son and he says, today, I am well pleased with you. Today, you, right now, you are my son, and in you, I'm well pleased. Well, Lord, I haven't done anything for you. I know. That doesn't make you my child, whether you do something or don't. You've been born again. You've been born in the family. You had nothing to do with that except believe. You got here. You didn't, you didn't will yourself to be born here on earth. You believed on him. And see, that is how. That's why we have to keep coming back to this and make that separation between position and performance. Position and performance. The devil said, perform. If you're a son, then perform like one. And God said, no, 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 no. You need to know your position first. Your position is first. Your performance follows. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. I have, I have some friends who have a problem with this kind of teaching. They really do. They feel like that you can't tell people that. They'll live like idiots. I don't see any of you living like idiots. Being, being that we have this awareness, when we truly have the awareness that we are the children of God, that we have this position, mm, praise God, and God said it here. I'm, I did it for us, my family. He said it at this point before Jesus did anything. So that, he, what did I say earlier? It happened in reconciliation. There was an exchange. So as much as the Son of God Jesus is, so are you. The exchange took place. And as dark and dank and dirty and sinful as we were, God reckoned that to be Jesus. He became sin. And you and I became what? Righteousness. The condition changed, our position changed, everything changed. Thank you, Lord. So he brought us into this family, and now we stand in a position. Now, this is the glorious thing. The Scripture says that now you are all, all sons of God through faith in Jesus. Romans 5 says that we now, by faith, we have access now into this grace in which we stand. You see that? This is a position. This is a I'm standing in grace. I'm not, I'm not working for this thing. I'm not striving for it. I'm not performing for it. I am standing in it. Not only are we standing, in one sense, we're also seated. 
which means that there is a great rest in this position of sonship. There is a great rest in this reconciliation. There is a great rest for us in this exchange. If you are the Son of God. And I say that He's the Father of the religious system because in John chapter 8, Jesus is called out by those religious leaders at that time. And Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Shall set you free. Anybody remember that scripture? John 8, 32? John 8, 32? 31? Anybody? Okay. Bring it up, please. I want to be accurate. I want to make sure I'm... John 8, 32. Okay? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, now remember this. Freedom does not come through truth. Freedom comes through truth that you know. Okay? It's the truth that you know. It's what he's teaching us. It's the truth that you know. When you know your position in God, then you live in that freedom. What's the freedom? Freedom from, freedom from living by the flesh. Freedom from being, uh, succumbing to the, the power of temptation in your life. See, Jesus didn't even entertain what Satan said. Didn't even entertain it. He didn't have to. He already heard the Father say, In you I'm well pleased. He was only convinced of what God had said. And no matter that bait that the devil threw out there, it didn't, it didn't phase Jesus. And let me tell you something, it doesn't have to phase you. Because he wants you to be dancing and, and around this deal. He wants you to be striving. He wants you to be toiling. He wants you to be laboring anything but knowing who you are in God. Anything but knowing who you are because that's who he said you are. He has given the Spirit, listen to me, He's put His Spirit in you. The Scripture says the Spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father! And the Spirit is there to bear witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. The Spirit is, it's no question with the Holy Spirit that you and I are sons of God. He's not doubting that. He's not wondering, well, I don't really like the way you're acting. I'm not real sure if, that, if you really are saved. His witness bears witness with our spirit that we are Sons of God. you got to believe this, and you have to believe this to the fullest so that you can know what this freedom really is. These guys out on the fringe that think they have to balance grace and all this for some reason, for some ungodly, demonic reason, they think that they need to balance. The, how do you balance God's grace? Where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Go ahead and try to balance that, buddy. It's out of balance. Thank God it is. Super abundantly above all. Can't balance that. You have to embrace it. You have to just give up your own religious thinking about it. And say, all right, I'm going with grace. I'm going, I'm going with grace. Jesus... He, he had no question of who he was. He knew who he was. And that's why he could say the things that he said that brought so much division and so much unity at the same time. It brought division with those that were the sons of the devil. In John chapter 8, they said, what are you talking about freedom? We're already free. We're we're Abraham's children. He said, listen, if you were Abraham's children, you would have embraced me when I, when I came. You wouldn't be fighting me on this issue. And they said, who do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. And then Jesus says, after they had an exchange of words, Jesus looks at them and says, you are of your father, the devil. 
for he was a murderer from the beginning. Whoa, that man, if Jesus tells you your daddy's the devil, you need to get on your knees right there and repent and say, I'm sorry, Jesus. He didn't, they didn't do that, though, because they were completely blinded by performance, completely blinded that righteousness comes through the acts of the law. And that's the only way he could. And Jesus, when he came, it was just such an offense to them because by Moses came the law, but through Jesus Christ came grace and truth. Wow. Who is this man that can say this and be right? Think about this. Do you remember when Jesus, I'm almost through. Do you remember when Jesus, um, the story about the, the, the four friends who let down their paralyzed friend through the roof of the house and, and Jesus sees this happening and because and, the house was crowded, they couldn't get in, so they just tore a hole in the roof. I mean, these are some determined friends. I mean, those are the kind of friends you want, right? They're going to do anything to get you out of your mess. And so they lowered him down through that roof. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, that's why you need to believe for people who don't believe in themselves. People who have given up, you believe for them. Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith and said to the man, not rise, take up your bed and walk. He said, your sins are forgiven you. Now, wait a second. Let's hang on. How does he have the audacity to say that? Okay, if I, okay, let's just put this in where we live as people. If Jeremiah has wronged me, and he never has and he never will, he's wronged me, then it's right for me to say, I forgive you for what you've done to me. But if he has wronged Chris, and I come along and say, I forgive you for what you've done to Chris. Yeah. That's just arrogance. That's stupid. What about Chris? How's he going to feel about that? Oh, really? You do, huh? Oh, I see. Hmm. And Jesus has the audacity to do that very thing without even considering who he sinned against. He acts like he's the target of offense. He's the one who has been offended. And so he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Who has the audacity to say that? You're either crazy, you're either full of yourself, or you're God. Totally knew who he was. And I'm saying this to you so that you will know who you are. Now, you don't have any business of telling people their sins are forgiven if they've offended somebody else. Okay, I'm not saying that. What I'm telling you is, is your position in God. Your position in him is one of sonship. And there ain't nothing that you can do to make that more pleasurable to God. He's already fully pleased with you because he's pleased with his son, Jesus. And if he's pleased with him, my family, he's pleased with you because a great exchange took place. Praise God. And Jesus gladly bore our sins so that we could gladly be the righteousness of God, so that we could gladly be sons, free sons. And he is. Today, I want to tell you what the father told his son. He's saying to you today, you are my son. You are my daughter. In you, I am well pleased. In you, I am well pleased. When you really, I think it really takes us the rest of our lives to even try to wrap our minds around that. 
you are positioned in faith. In faith. Lastly, this thing about uh, where it said, um, uh, where was I? And if I would just stay on my notes like I teach my students to do. Oh, he says, you are my beloved son. I love this. The word beloved means favorite. How many of you have ever heard Charlie Binion tell you he is God's favorite son? I've heard him say that many times. I'm God's favorite son. And when I saw this, I'm like, man, you got a revelation I need to get a hold of. I mean, he's totally convinced of it. He tells anybody and everybody. When he was at the doctors, he told all the nurses, told everybody, I'm God's favorite son. And they said, well, Charlie, you know, it, you, obviously, I mean, you, you're, you're proving really quick and things are good. He says, yeah, because I'm God's favorite son. Huh? I want you to say that. I'm God's favorite son. If you're a girl, you can say son, okay. If we got to be the bride, you can be sons. Right? <laughs> I'm God's favorite. Mm-hmm. See, that, that way when you walk out of those doors, you go home, go to bed tonight, you get up, you drive to work, I want you to think this way. I am his beloved child. I am his favorite. And he is well pleased with me today. Not by works of righteousness that I've done, but by his mercy. Thank you, Lord. And today when I go, I'm going in your favor. Today when, I'm go, when I go, wherever I go, I'm going loved by God. Hallelujah. And then see what Brian was talking about earlier, just that flow of love in your life, that flow of love in your life. Then, see, it's so much easier. to You don't have to pray stuff like, God, help me to love the sinner. Hey, stop praying prayers like that. If you're praying that, that's a waste of your time. Love God. Just love God. Love Him. Love Him and, and, and receive His love for you. You won't have any issues. Amen. You'll be happy to do that. You, what, then you go because He loves the sinner, not because you go. Because when you love Him, you love what He loves. Amen. All right. I hope this has blessed you tonight. I hope this has encouraged you and strengthened you. Maybe awakened you, shaken you, corrected you challenged you maybe maybe hopefully you felt or experienced a greater level of peace in your life tonight you know let's just bow our heads for a moment i know that there are some here in this room who've you really been wrestling with this issue and you've been at unrest and you have been unsettled by things you have done or have not done. And it's made you feel very insecure in your relationship with God. I want you tonight to receive what he says about you, not what you think or feel about this. To reach up by faith and believe his word. Right now, right now, Right now, get a new beginning. Right now, all things are made new. 
because the one who makes them new is here. The one who makes them new. He does not hold your sins against you. It don't matter what you feel about it. Right now, you just got to believe it. Right now, you need to accept what he says and say, Father, I believe what I've heard tonight. I believe that you are pleased with me because I'm yours, because I am your child. And I refuse to live my existence in this world any other way. I refuse to live by how I feel and how I think. I choose to believe God tonight. Even over past my failures and regrets and all the junk, tonight I believe that I am positioned and I stand in grace and I am seated in heavenly places with Christ because God did that for me. You didn't give me what I deserved. You gave me what you wanted me to have. And in that I rejoice. And in that I thank you. And in that I'm walking out of here free tonight. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Between me and you and God, if that's you, I just want to see your hand. I just want to see your hand tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Yeah, yes, amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you in Jesus' name for these sons who are positioned, who know their position, who believe their position, and the performance will take care of itself. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And those walk, watching by live stream, those listening by podcast, believe this word tonight. Believe who God says you are. Believe what Jesus has done for you. Believe it, because it is a finished, complete work. Wrestle with this no longer. Jesus did all the fighting for you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, where's John, or uh, Maddie, sorry, or either one, I don't care. Can you get on that keyboard once, somebody, Faith? One, we have so many great piano players here. What key is that? Uh, I'm no longer. Uh, this is an A. Okay. Let's stand and sing this chorus. I want this song to be in your heart as we go out of here tonight. Go to G. Ooh, that's still high too. Go to C. Go to D. I'm just seeing how talented she is. I am a child of God. 
I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Come on, sing it like you believe it tonight. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Thank you, Father. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Thank you, Father, now that you bless your children and they're going out just like they've been blessed and they're coming in. That where they go, they are your favorite. And your favor surrounds them as with a shield. Father, thank you for the peace of Almighty God to rest upon their homes, their bodies, their minds, their marriages, their children. I declare grace and peace be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that when they go from here tonight, that they leave here as ministers, ministers of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, that God was in Christ. God was in Christ, and He made an exchange with us. Come and receive of that exchange. Hallelujah, in Jesus' mighty name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.